Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 45. Today, Pippin and I discuss what we've been up to, and we try to explain Google Analytics campaign tagging. But first... This episode is sponsored by SearchWP, a turnkey search solution that turns your WordPress search into something actually valuable. This is a plugin built by Jonathan Christopher, who we had on last episode. Uh, So if you want to hear about some of his history and his business and his work with SearchWP, give that episode a listen. SearchWP makes it easy to instantly improve the WordPress search, as well as allow you to search e-commerce data, custom fields, short code content, even content within PDF or other documents. Uh, Also allows you to search within taxonomy terms. We have both used it. Brad and I have both used SearchWP, and we've had fantastic results with it. Uh, Brad, how do you use it? Uh, We use it on the Delicious Brains site, deliciousbrains.com for our documentation search. So like one of the cool things about it is that you can uh, you can limit your, or focus your search on just like certain post types and you can configure like how things are weighted uh, and stuff like that. So like, for example, you could, you could say that the title is, if there's a match in the title, that's worth more than if there's a match in say uh, a custom field or in the content or something like that. So it's really cool. We've had great success with it in our documentation. We were also using it for our documentation on the Easy Digital Downloads website. We don't use it now only because we moved our docs offsite to integrate with our help desk system. Um, but one of the things that we found super valuable was the ability to set up multiple search engines. So, for example, you can have one search engine that searches your blog post and a different search engine. Uh, and a search engine is really just a search form on the site that searches just your documentation. And then you can have another one that searches your products, another one that searches your support form. Uh, and that was all very, very valuable to us. Yeah. It's a really, really cool system. Yeah, that's really. that, that's kind of what I meant. <laughs> I was trying to explain. We we don't have a search on our blog, but that's definitely something that we're gonna we're gonna yeah. hook up soon. Yeah, I know I use it on Pippin's plugins as well. And at some point I want to expand it a little bit more so that I could uh, allow people to search just within my blog posts or search within tutorials. Uh, and so we, we could have separate search forms for those uh, as one example. But really excellent plugin from Jonathan. So definitely recommend check it out at searchwp.com. All right, Brad, what have you been up to for the last two weeks? Uh, we've been uh, working away at the WP Offload S3 plugin that has yet to be launched. So we've been doing some testing on it. We found some Fairly significant bugs that, that took some some time to to fix. Care to elaborate on any of the, the bugs? I'm always curious. Um, I'm not necessarily curious, but interested about the kinds of difficulties that people run into during development, like the bugs that you find during it that after release people never see. Do you have any examples that you can share? If not, that's fine too. Uh, it's mostly, I don't have any specific examples. It's mostly like just... Uh, background processing stuff which we've talked about this on the show before how background processing you know you can do like you've done it with edd for um what was it for again remind me like our batch processing yeah the batch processing in the actual background oh yeah i guess your batch processing wasn't necessarily background processing was it no it was still initiated by a user right right no so we have background processing so for example Let's say you have 50,000 posts, right, on your site. 
uh, and you're you're using you start using WP Offload S3, and you start uploading all your media. Well, we you can't run a find and replace each time you upload a file to S3. You would have to go through all the content and update any links to that still reference that file to your local server. Update those links so that it now references the S3 URL, right? Right. Uh, you have to go through 50,000 posts. If you have to do that, it would take forever to upload your media, right? Because, uh, you know, to go through, uh, do a find and replace on 50,000 posts is a big operation. So you trigger it in the background. So right. after you've uploaded all your media, it batches all those in the background and goes through all the 50,000 posts and does a find and replace Got it. all in the background. And so we just had some some hangups uh, with that. And you can imagine how how complicated that, that can get. We're, we're trying to get this to work with 50,000 posts. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, that's a complex thing because you also have to worry about timeouts and, and everything else. I know that's actually uh, an issue that Jonathan with SearchWP faced because when you first install the plugin, it's got to go index all of the content. Yes. And it has to do that in the background. Yes, exactly. And I really like the way he did it. He's got a nice little progress bar that, that shows shows how, how much of the site's been indexed so far and that kind of thing. So, yeah, super slick. so did, you, did you guys manage to get past that and resolve it? Yeah, yeah. We're in a good spot now. Uh, we've also identified a problem with our testing process. So generally what we've do, been doing is when it's time to do release testing, everybody gets on, like all hands on deck. Everybody starts testing at once. And the problem with that is that if you end up with significant bugs, right, and everyone's testing at once and say like, say like everyone's like three quarters of the way through the testing and you find a significant bug that requires a big uh, change to the code and it touches a lot of pieces, well, then you got to kind of got to go back and retest everything again, right? Which is what happened (laughs) recently, right? So what we decided is we need to do phased testing. So... Uh, the guys that are working on the product, like the main developers, they can uh, do the testing, go through our spreadsheets of, of tests and, and, and perform those and hopefully identify any major issues that need to be reworked. And then we invite other guys to come on board one at a time and, and kind of make it more phased approach. So it's, it'll be a little bit slower, but I think it'll be... Uh, a little bit more solid of a process going forward. And you don't have to backtrack so much. Like guys won't have to retest things so much, I think. So that'll be nice. And uh, I've personally been working on screencasts lately. <laughs> so doing the uh, WP Offload S3 screencasts, which is quite time consuming. I've, I kind of forget how, how time consuming it is. Yeah, uh, they're nuts. Yeah. So, especially like there was a lot of, there was a few bugs that I kept running into. So I had to like start over <laughs> a few times and, and after, after they, the bugs were fixed. So anyway, things are progressing and we're, we're getting close to launch. So good deal. Things are good. Uh, how about you? What are you up to? Uh, we've had two main things going recently, I guess, kind of three. Uh, number one, we're working on really getting affiliate WP 1.7 finished out, uh, which is a pretty massive release. It's been well i don't want to say it's been in progress for a while it's been slated for a while but mostly been sitting still and haven't touched him for a while but a couple of days or last week we decided to bring on a, an outside contractor to help do a little bit of work to move things along a little faster uh, so frankie jarrett is doing a bunch of work for us right now 
to help push 1.7 up faster. That freed up some time for me to let me work on a new, an update to one of our affiliated B add-ons. We have an add-on called PayPal Pro Payouts that lets you process payouts from your WordPress dashboard for your affiliates through PayPal. Uh, so you can you can go in and click on any referral commission and just say, pay now, send a payment. Uh, and it'll go to your PayPal account and send a payment to the affiliate. Or you can do it in bulk. And so you can say, I want to pay all referrals from July 1 to July 15 for anybody that has more than $50 minimum amount. You can do things like that. Well, this uh, when this was first released, it depended upon PayPal's MassPay API. MassPay API is a nice and pretty simple API that PayPal has offered for a long time that allows you to generate bulk payments. And it's actually a two-part system. First, uh, it allows you to actually do it from the API. So from another website or through a service, you can generate a bulk payment. Or from your actual PayPal account, you could upload a CSV file to send out a bulk payment as well. Well, unfortunately, this is a feature that PayPal has discontinued. But not very publicly. It was actually kind of a, they kind of did it quietly. And the way that we found out that they discontinued it is people would come to us and say, PayPal won't enable this to my account because they say it's not available anymore. And we go in and say, well, yeah, it's available. We have it on our accounts. Well, it turns out it's just a feature that they've decided to deprecate and only give to certain people, basically. Uh, so if you've had an account that's been open for a long time, you can have it. Or if you do something like $50,000 a month in sales, you can have it, but no one else can. And so we kept having these customers come to us and say, well, I can't use it. I can't use it because they won't let me, which was really annoying. Well, they have, they deprecated it because they've replaced it with their new API, which is called PayPal Pro, not to be confused with PayPal Website Payments Pro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the PayPal products, so many of them. Um, but so the PayPal Pro API is their new REST API. Uh, so it is a, it's an actual REST API. It turns out that it includes the ability to do payouts via the API as well as mass payouts. And it's available to every single business account. So you don't have to get it you don't have to get it approved to your account or anything like that. You just have it if you have a business account. So I did an update to our, our PayPal payouts add-on that allowed just to use the new, the new API as well, while still simultaneously supporting the old API. <laughs> it's kind of funny because the new API actually works. It still uses their exact and existing mass pay system. If you make a payout through the new PayPal API, in your PayPal account, it shows up as a mass pay payment. <laughs> um, just like the old system, even though it's supposedly not using the old system, which is kind of funny. But mm. so that was a nice update that we got, which is the biggest thing that's great about it is it now means that instead of maybe one in a hundred people being able to, to send, uh, affiliate payouts through PayPal, anyone can, uh, which was a big deal for us. Do, do you know that I cannot do mass payouts to my affiliates? Uh, through PayPal because I'm in Canada. Yeah, I believe it's uh, U.S. only. Yeah, it's super Actually, annoying. Actually, no, payout, <laughs> well, MassPay was yes. U.S. only, I believe. Yes. But the new PayPal payouts is not U.S. only. Oh, nice. Sorry, so, so the new PayPal Pro API. I Actually, I found their documentation page that lists which countries are supported. And it's basically every country that PayPal 
you like usually supports okay. can now support use it. Oh, uh, that's cool. Uh, I mean, unless I read something wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Because I couldn't even use their CSV upload tool. Like I, I wasn't even allowed to use that. I even contacted them about it, and they said just it's not available in Canada. But that's cool. I'm gonna have to look into that because right yeah, now I'm pretty sure it's, I can find the doc if you want it. Right now, my bookkeeper is going through and manually paying our affiliates one at a time. So that's obnoxious. <laughs> you have two or three affiliates, not a big deal. But if you have a more than that, it starts yeah, getting annoying. It's, it's, it's not too bad right now. I think it's probably a dozen a month, so it's not a big deal. But. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that uh, we've been doing, and this is um, much more of uh, now it's the team testing it. It was my main developer, Chris, working on it. We've been building out a new fraud monitor extension for EDD that helps us proactively monitor and flag fraud purchases that come through the system. And, and this is both for us and for any EDD user. Uh, and it... Uh, we've actually been using it internally for about a year and a half now, uh, and it's been awesome. But we've decided to build it out now and release it as an ex- actual extension. So we've been um, building out a bunch of new features for it. So just like quick examples. Number one, it has like IP whitelist, I mean, or IP blacklist, kind of obvious. But so if you have an, a known IP that's fraudulent, you can blacklist it. Same thing, if you want to blacklist certain countries, you can do that. Um, and when we say blacklist in this case, we usually mean that any purchase that comes from there is going to get automatically flagged for review. So this site admin gets notified that a, a purchase is potentially fraudulent, so we go review it. Um, but it also does a lot more than that now. We've added in options to say, okay, if you ever have a purchase that's over this amount, flag it as fraud. If you ever have a purchase that contains more than this number of items, flag it as fraud. If you ever have a purchase using an email address that matches these particular parameters, such as a large number of digits or particular domain names, flag it as potentially fraud. You can, we also set it up so you can do like specific products. So depending on your store, you may have products that will never be purchased together. So if they are ever purchased together, flag as potentially fraud. We, ha- we sell bundles on the EDD site and there's two bundles that people would just never purchase together. There's no reason whatsoever because they share the almost exact same plugins, but we see them purchased from people using fraudulent credit card or stolen credit cards. And so if we ever see those combinations, flag it as fraud. So that's been a big project uh, over the last three weeks or so. And we're now at kind of the phase where we're all testing it. We're getting it ready for release. And I expect within the next week or two that that'll get pushed out. So that that's a plugin that came out of your own need, wasn't it? Yes, uh, because last year we just about had our merchant accounts closed down because our fraud rates were too high. Right. Uh, and we just decided, you know what, it's time. Let's go ahead and combat this and see what we can do. Uh, and so we we built it over the course of a weekend. I, I'm not exaggerating if I tell you it's probably saved us ten to twenty thousand dollars since we built it, just in fraudulent charges. Right, right. So you've, uh, I, I imagine, you built it over a weekend, then iterated on it, kind of over the year, got made it. Stronger. Yeah, like made a few little changes to it, and then it's just been in the last three to four weeks that we decided to take what we had built internally and turn it into something that can be reused on any website. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it should be. We're pretty excited to get it pushed out. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of that. Brad, let's jump into campaign tracking for uh, with Google Analytics. Um, why don't you maybe start by giving us a rundown of what exactly this is for somebody who's not already familiar with it? Yeah, I mean, campaign tagging. Yeah, what is that, right? Uh, well, what we're talking about here is we're talking about the little URL parameters that you see in URLs sometimes, they usually start with UTM underscore. So those are, are tracking parameters uh, that Google Analytics reads when that page loads. A couple of years ago, I was at MicroConf and uh, Annie Cushing, 
uh, gave an excellent talk about Google Analytics, uh, and she covered some stuff in campaign tagging. And then I went to her site and, and took a look at the article, The D- Definitive Guide to Campaign Tagging in Google An- Analytics. And man, my head almost exploded because I had been doing it so wrong. Most of what we're going to talk about here is derived from that article. So we'll link that up in the show notes and uh, and people can take a look for themselves. But let's give kind of like a, we'll give kind of like an overview of, of that article. First of all, like what what do you use it for, Pippin? What do you use campaign tagging for? Well, first, a bit of a disclaimer. I was pretty terrible with campaign tracking. I, I knew what it was, but I wasn't good at actually doing it. It wasn't sent until Chris Kosowski came on board with me that he, we started really getting serious about it uh, because he's much more of a data nerd than I am. But so we use it for primarily tracking sales uh, and we, for tracking the source of sales, where they came from. Uh, so, for example, we have links to our to some of the main products, uh, as well as like our extensions archive in the readme.txt file that's on WordPress.org for easy digital downloads. We also have a page inside of EDD, like inside the plugin on every WordPress dashboard that shows a list of extensions. And then we also do it. We tweet about extensions. We put it on Facebook. We send out newsletters, et cetera. And so we use campaign tagging for tracking how each of those performs. So just to give you a, a quick rundown. Over the last month, so for for the month of July, 0.16%, so not even a quarter of a percent of sales came from our readme.txt file on wordpress.org. About half a percent of our sales came through automated tweets sent whenever we publish blog posts. 3.42% of our sales came from a notice that we display inside of people's dashboards when they install the plugin, asking if they would like to opt into anonymous data tracking. And with that, we give a discount code. 12.7% of our sales came from the actual extensions page that's inside of the plugin. So that extensions page that's in the in the dashboard of every single EDD user site is one of our most valuable sources of, of revenue we discovered. And then this one to me is wild. In plugins.php, like the, the list table of plugins, there's you always have like deactivate author website, et cetera, under each plugin. Well, we also added one called extensions. And it turns out that that link generates 1% of our sales for this month, um, which to me is mind boggling. Like that does better than our social stuff does, <laughs> which is kind of nuts to me. But so just that's what we use it for. We're using it. We use campaign tagging to try and better analyze and understand where sales come from. And we can then we can also use it for tracking changes over time. Um, so like those numbers that I gave are just for July. So how does that how does that campaign tracker extension work? Does it does it pull use the Google Analytics API and pull in data or right. So we have an extension for EDD that anytime you generate a sale will store the the campaign data for it if if that sale comes from somebody that used a URL with a campaign tag on it. It looks at the URL when they land on the page and it stores it immediately into a session. And then if they if they complete a purchase, then it will store that data. And then it allows you to go in and view reports. So you can say, okay, show me the earnings for this campaign for this time period. Okay. So why do you need that then over, you know, if you have Google Analytics set up with e-commerce? You don't, you don't need it. It's a nice little add-on, basically. Right. Um, especially because one other thing it allows us to do is you can go in and you can filter our per- you can filter purchase records by campaign. So we can say, I want to see all payments that came from this campaign. 
so that m- maybe I want to export those email addresses or I just want to look at them for whatever reason. Um, and that's something that we can't usually see as much in Google Analytics because we don't have that that kind of data. Right. Okay. So I guess the next question is like, what if you're lazy and you just don't tag anything? What happens? And, Should I have a look? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, lots of people don't tag, right? Don't tag their URLs, and but they don't realize why that's bad, right? Because, I mean, some people don't even look at their Google Analytics ever, <laughs> right? So, so then it's not a problem. Uh, but if you do want your data uh, to be right in Google Analytics, you really should be tagging. Right. Um, I, I think it's one of those things that if you, if campaign tagging is something you want to do, and it's something that you're going to use as a way to help measure success of different avenues, you need to make sure that you're always doing it. Yeah. Well, for example, like if you don't tag the links in your emails that you send out, so say you post a new blog post and then you email your email list about that blog post and link to it. Well, any traffic that comes to your site from that email will be categorized or uh, reported in Google Analytics as direct traffic, as as if someone typed the URL into their address bar, right? So, which means like all, if you keep doing that, your direct traffic is going to go up and up and up and it's, and it's going to be misreported, right? So you're not, it's going to be misrepresenting what's actually happening. Now that being said, so that will, so if you, if you want to break down of say like direct traffic versus uh, say traffic from Facebook or from Twitter or from other, your email newsletters, that will require that you track or you tag everything. But if you do just want to see, okay. Does this, what percentage of my sales come from this page? So I'm going to track this page. That will still give you an accurate number. What, what page are you talking about? Though? It doesn't matter. So, like, so my example for, is that we have a, a page inside of the Word EDD plugin that yes. is installed on every single WordPress site that allows somebody to view their extensions. So if we want to see what percent of, of our sales come from that, simply tagging the URLs in that page will still give us accurate numbers for that. Yes, Yes, it will. And the reason you really do want to tag those links is because each one of uh, those links uh, inside uh, the dashboard is if so if you click on that link and there's no tagging, let's say, right, Google Analytics is going to think that 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 link is just coming from a site, just some somebody's site. And so it's going to record it as a referral. And it's going to be, even if it's like local host, you know, if it's someone's like dev copy, it's still going to track in Google Analytics as being referred from local host. And it'll show up in Google Analytics as local host. So you, you really you really want to tag those because you, you want to group them, right? So that you can see all the clicks coming from inside the dashboard instead of having to sort through, okay, here's one from local host and here's a referral from... Yeah. You know, some guy's site, like they'll all be tracked as referrals, which is not accurate, right? Those aren't those aren't really public websites that are referring traffic to right. you. Right, and in those cases, you don't you don't you don't want those to be referrals, and you don't even if even if you're interested in the URL that they came from, you're right in that it's not a referral. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do hmm, you could probably if you did were interested in the URL that it came from, you could probably store that in the content. There's a there's a uh, tag called content, which you can put really whatever you want in there. You could put the URL or the domain name of of that uh, site. You can put put that in the content one, so that you could actually see 
okay, where, where are these things? Although I don't, I don't know why that information would be very valuable. Like, what, you know, how many came from a local host? Like, why, why would that be valuable? But, <laughs> but I guess you could do it. Um, yeah. I suspect this is something you guys have been doing a lot with your recent blogging push over the last couple of months. Yes, yes. Uh, and I'll get to that in a minute, but let's just finish cool. up the... So if you don't tag things, uh, what happens? So say you're running a paid search campaign on Bing, right? I don't know why you would do that, but <laughs> say you are. Uh, if you don't tag those those ads on, on Bing, those get reported as organic traffic, right? Because it looks like they're coming from Bing. It looks like it's coming from a search engine right? Like a search result from Bing. That's what it looks like to Google Analytics. So those really should be tagged as a, an ad campaign, right? Because you're going to want to know if that Bing campaign is performing, which it's probably not. <laughs> and another another reason, uh, well, I guess we already touched on this, like things that are going to get uh, reported as a referral that you don't want reported as referral, uh, you really want to tag those. For example, if you're Say you're running a banner uh, campaign through um, buy sell ads is a pretty typical one. If you don't tag those with Google Analytics tracking URLs, uh, those are going to get reported as referrals also. So, so say a, an ad shows up on Microsoft.com, right through buy sell ads. Well, you'll <laughs> Google Analytics will show that uh, hit as coming from Microsoft.com, as if like Microsoft is linking to you, not that it came from an ad. So those are just some reasons why you really do want to tag certain things. For the Delicious Brains blog, we've got a campaign called Weekly Article. So weekly-article, all lowercase. Every week we publish an article, right? And so that allows us in Google Analytics to just see like how much traffic we're getting from that campaign, from all sources and all mediums, right? So for example, all traffic from the email that we send out, from Twitter, from Google+, from Facebook, you know, from managedwp.org or, or wherever it's coming from. Actually, for managedwp.org, um, we probably wouldn't tag that, actually. And this brings me to like a, a funny thing. Like we, you were talking about tagging uh, the readme.txt file. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that too. We, we tag our readme.txt as well. But I don't think we should be. <laughs> After reading Annie's article, I was just going through it for the purpose of this, this podcast. And, and it sounds like it's a bad idea because that's just a website, right? The readme.txt is displayed on wordpress.org as a web page right? Any click-throughs from that link would be counted as referrals, right? So which would be showing up as referrals. So you could go into your referrals and see how many hits are coming from wordpress.org. So by putting a campaign on it, suddenly we're breaking that because now it's not a referral. Exactly. It's a campaign. So, so, and the, the big kicker is that apparently when you tag things manually with, with campaign tagging, you kind of like erase some data, like some data doesn't get through. I can't remember what she said exactly. Oh, the URL, the URL that it comes from is no longer reported. It's no longer sent uh, or stored in Google Analytics. So with a referral, you can see exactly, oh, okay, it's, you know, we're getting so many hits from this wordpress.org page and so many from this one, right? But if you're tagging those links, you won't see those URLs. You'll just see the campaign tags 
that you've set, which is interesting. That is interesting. So I'm probably going to remove all of our tags from our readme.txt, I think, after this. Um, <laughs> or at some point, anyway. So I'll, I'll just go uh, through the our blog. Uh, so what we... When we post a post on our blog, we've got like four main channels that we promote to after that. So we send out an email, we post on Twitter, we post on Google Plus, and we post on Facebook. And for each one of those, each one of those are a different source. Uh, so for the email one, we have email marketing software as our source because uh, that's what campaign monitor said it to ages ago, and I don't want to screw up our stats, so that's what it, that's I'm sticking with that. And and then for Twitter, the source is just Twitter.com, and the medium is social, and then the source for Google Plus plus.google.com, and the medium for that is social as well. So all the you know face and then Facebook.com and social, it's all pretty simple. Um, and and people often get these confused, like the, the medium and source are often swapped. So the source will be social, the medium will be twitter.com instead. If you're confused about those things, I definitely recommend checking out Annie's article and just referring back to it. it she clears it up pretty you know, she makes it very clear how it's supposed to be. And then like another example of a campaign that we have on our blog is like when we do a new release, We'll have we'll tag that campaign as release dash article all lowercase, so that we can see like over I can look at like the year and see how much uh, our release articles have impacted sales or uh, traffic to our site or a variety of things you know and then and then I can break that down into like how much is our email responsible for that or how much is uh, Twitter responsible for that and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how how we. Have you, how long have you been actively doing this now? <laughs> Not very long. Like doing it right, you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've only had this structure with this proper tagging in place for four or five weeks, I'd say. Annie, in Annie's article, she links to a, a spreadsheet that she created that allows you to do they're tagging properly so you just kind of fill fill it in fill the spreadsheet in and and she gives you kind of she spits out your tracking url uh at the end and so i was using that for a while and then i just kind of got sick of the repetitiveness of it and so i, I wrote a little plugin that creates a panel in wordpress like underneath the like when you're editing a post like it's just like underneath there and it just has like uh, input fields with the the links in them with the, with the proper tagging. Um, Smart. So I'll probably I'll probably release that eventually. It's really specific for us right now, though. That's the only thing. I, it would take a you know quite a bit of work to get it. Um, sure. We do it um, for our blog posts at least. We do it all automatically through Post Promoter Pro. Right. Um, just because it 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 has the option to append the links automatically as well. Right. Yeah. 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 You have to be careful with some tools. I don't. I can't remember how Post Promoter Pro does it, uh, but I know Buffer does some funny business. Uh, and so don't necessarily trust the tool. Uh, Buffer will append the campaign. So the campaign for any buffered tweets, you know, Facebook, whatever, it's all the campaign's Buffer. <laughs> so no matter no matter what you want it to be, it's Buffer. 
So if you just turn on like automatic, you know, campaign tracking in buffer, it, it just sets it all to, to buffer, um, which is so good. not, not exactly all that helpful. Right. Cause I'll, you know, you have one campaign and it's buffer, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, you might want to rethink using that tool. Uh, but I mean, you could still use buffer. You just turn that feature off and do your own tagging. Does this and is it any of this make sense to you? Like, are you are you guys doing things? Do you think you guys are doing things the right way? Or? I think we're doing it mostly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing for us is just making sure that we get it consistent. So mm-hmm. instead of doing it sometimes, we need to do it all the time. Yeah, uh, which I think is really important for campaign tagging. If you want to do it, you need to make sure that you do it right so that you don't have inaccurate data. Yeah. Uh, Annie's Annie's uh, advice was to make sure that you get the medium right, that, that you don't screw that up. Because she said that that's the one that most people screw up and it has the biggest impact on how the, the reports are generated in Google Analytics. So if you screw up the medium, it's kind of screws up screws up a lot. One other thing about campaign tagging is that you don't necessarily need to be actively analyzing it right away, but you need to make sure that you have your your tags in there so that in six months, when you want to go back and, and look at things and say, okay, what was our best post? Where, where did the most revenue come from? You need to have that data there, but the data is only going to be there if you start tagging. So you can start tagging everything, but not worry about really digging into reports until six months yeah. or however long you want to wait. Could be that's, a week, could be six months, depends on what your traffic's like. Yeah, that's a really good point. Annie tells a story of one of her clients was tagging things so poorly that they had to just scrap their Google Analytics account completely and just start from scratch because it was just, the, the data was so inconsistent and messed up that it was just worthless. <laughs> so so it's it's kind of important to get this stuff right. Uh, do you want to go over, should we go over to the uh, common tagging mistakes? I, I think they're pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Now, are these ones that, that um, are also from her article? They they are in our article. Uh, I have some personal experience with <laughs> some of them. Sure. Why don't you walk us through? Yeah, sure. Um, so one one of the ones that she says she sees a lot is tagging internal links. So for example, uh, you tag the navigation items on your own site, right? So you add... Guilty. I've done it. Right, right. It's, well, why not? Like, there's no, no one's told me not to, you know? Um, but I'm telling you not to it because Andy's telling you not to now. And the reason is because if you tag those internal links, it overwrites any previous uh, tagging. So if, if you came in, say, through a Twitter link that was tagged properly as Twitter, and then uh, you click on one of the nav links that has tagging in it, the, the, that overwrites it overwrites the Twitter stuff. So it gets reported as whatever you've tagged your internal link as. So you lose, you know, it, it, bad news. Anyway, most likely what people want uh, when they're tagging internal links is event tracking, like Google Analytics event tracking. So yeah, look into that if you're doing that. The other thing that she said uh, is medium and source get mixed up a lot. I think I mentioned this earlier. So medium should be like a big bucket, for example, social or email or feed or banner, uh, CPC. Is it, those are all good examples of mediums. Uh, whereas source should be kind of like more specific, like a location, like the location where the link is. So for example, uh, Twitter 
or uh, email software or facebook.com. Those are all good examples of sources, properly tagged sources. Also, if you mix the case of your campaign tags, like say you use an uppercase letter for, for the first letter, Makes them different, doesn't it? Yeah, you, it tracks them as two separate campaigns, so you, you can't do that. Or, well, you can, but it's not going to be good. I've seen this a lot, actually, tagging links to external sites, and I, I think I've done this myself uh, in the past. So if you have an external link on your site that's going to someone else's site, then you you add your own tags to it. Uh, Which really just means that your tags are now shown in their analytics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're you're basically screwing with them, right? Like cuz any any traffic you're sending their way, you're like tagging it with some campaign that they don't even know what's going on with. <laughs> so, if you want to screw with somebody, it's probably a good way to do it, but um, yeah, it's not going to help. So the other thing is missing tagging. So, and I did, I did this recently. So in the footer of my email that was getting sent out, uh, I had like a hard-coded link in my template to deliciousbrains.com. And people were clicking on that to get to our site. And, and it wasn't tracking it. So it was just tracking it as direct traffic. Right. So any sales that that email generates are totally skewed. Yeah. Well, it just gets reported as, as sales from direct traffic as if someone typed Well, it right. In. Because let's, let's just say that the, the campaign, the email campaign generated 200 sales. Yeah. Only $50 might've been actually attributed to the campaign when really all of it should have been. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you'll never know, right? You'll never know that it was the, the email that did it. I don't even know how I figured out I noticed that that link was, you know what was happening? That's what it was. It was a dynamic string that was being inserted into the email. So like uh, I was, yeah, I was inserting like a custom field uh, from the email software into it. And it was deliciousbrains.com was the string. And then Gmail and most email programs, when they see, when they detect a domain name, they'll automatically turn it into a link. So that's what was happening. I wasn't actually putting a link in there, but the email software was turning it into a link and people were able to click on it and get through. So how how about that, right? I like the, the last point about uh, campaign names being too cryptic. Right. I was just uh, looking through my, my campaigns uh, just before we jumped on the episode. And I have some in there that are just like random numbers. I have no <laughs> clue what they are. <laughs> That's right. So they're, just, they're totally worthless. Right, right, right. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was man, like, here, funny. I'm going to generate a random number sequence whenever I send out this email so I can identify this email. Well, that was dumb. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. Another thing is creating unique campaign names for each medium and source. And I'm, I'm guilty of this, I think. Um, I like if you create like your, your campaign name to have like Facebook ad. Facebook ad March 2015 or something like that, you know, like create making that a campaign name is is pointless because, well, first of all, your your medium should be probably banner, which mm-hmm. implies ad and your source uh, would be whatever the, the banner, like if you're serving the ad through buy sell ads then it would probably be buy sell ads for your source or something like that or i guess i I just said facebook so the source would be facebook.com the reason uh, just a quick note about the source like the reason you you make it facebook.com is that 
uh, it will th- it will group the, those sources together with any referrals that come from Facebook.com as well, right? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So if you like, if someone just posts a link to your site in some group or something on Facebook, and they and someone clicks it, that you know Google Analytics will tag that as source being Facebook.com. So by by doing that yourself manually, you're kind of you're putting those sure. two things together. So you could then you could drill down and say, okay, show me all traffic from Facebook.com as a source. And then within that, you could break down, okay, now show me the ones that came from this campaign versus other pages on Facebook. Yes, exactly. Yep. Or you probably even uh, break it out into and see the URLs uh, coming mm-hmm. from Facebook as well. Although right. I don't know, if, I don't know if that works because of the HTTPS thing, but uh, I don't know everything about this stuff. That's for sure. I mean, when I was preparing for this, I was going through like our ads on we we do remarketing through AdRoll, and I was just checking those, and they're wrong. <laughs> like the, awesome. all, the, all the tags in there are wrong. I'm using like for the medium. I think I have web as the medium, which is pretty useless mm-hmm. uh, because it's banner. It's a banner ad. Like it's, it's all of the web. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, on on our WordPress.org links. Uh, we have web as the medium as well. So those are those are wrong as well as being probably unnecessary. So yeah, I mean, it's I'm still learning this stuff and it's uh, kind of a journey. So it's fun it's though. Definitely, um, it's something that I think I'm learning more. I'm learning more and more about, but what I'm really learning is appreciating how valuable it is. This is one of those areas of, of data analytics that, it's really cool to me, but it's usually not something that I, I think about from um, day to day. But like when Chris came on board and Chris started doing a lot of this for us uh, and getting very serious about it, started to very easily see the value in it. Just being able to quickly drill down and say like, okay, well, this is where this revenue comes from. This is where this comes from. This one is really weak. So we either need to nix it or we need to improve it. Just being able to suddenly make educated decisions like that, super important. Yeah. And if you're if your tagging is all messed up, like all the, like looking trying to find answers out of there is just going to be fruitless, right? Like, <laughs> just guesses. Yeah, because the numbers aren't going to be accurate, right? They're going to be all over the place. So yeah, it's uh, and I mean Annie is a consultant too, so I've considered hiring her, and I I still probably will, but I just haven't gotten to it. It's like not one of those things that is like super urgent. But I'm sure she could just rip apart our, <laughs> our Google Analytics and stuff. And, and her, her site has amazing articles on there about like how to run custom reports. Uh, because the, the reports in Google Analytics are all just kind of basically templates, mm-hmm. right? The custom reporting stuff in Google Analytics is apparently where you can glean like some really valuable information. Um, not that I have, <laughs> right? Cause I don't, I just haven't put the time into it to, to go in there and create custom reports to, to dig into the, the data. But, uh, it's, well, it's, it's so much, easy to dive into Google analytics reporting and just go over your head so quickly. Oh, it's overwhelming, right? Um, Super overwhelming. And I, I mean, that's why some people make it their full-time job, right? <laughs> Cause there's so much there. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, if anybody has uh, any feedback or stories or questions about campaign tagging, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, feel free to post a comment on the episode, get in touch with us on Twitter, 
uh, either at Apply Filters or either of our personal accounts. Um, anything else you want to add, Brad, before we sign off of here? Uh, no, I think that's it. Just, uh, I mean, I'm sure I was wrong about a few things here. <laughs> so, you know, let us know in the comments, uh, you know, if, if you disagree with anything that was said or if there's, you know, any improvements uh, we could make upon, you know. Yeah, or maybe if you have any resources, um, other articles or guides for, for, for helping people learn campaign tagging, uh, feel free to list them. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, everybody. All right.